I am Matt. I'm Annie AK. And I'm Melissa. And together we want to welcome you to Still Great Bob. If this is your first time joining us, together we are watching AMC's Mad Men, trying to answer the question, is it still great, Bob? This week we're discussing Season 2, Episode 4, Three Sundays, written by Andre and Maria Jackmenton, directed by Tim Hunter. The original air date of this episode Opening was that weekend August at the box 17th, office was Tropic Thunder, which was great. Uh, and it pushed The Dark Knight to the second spot. Opening third place was Star Wars The Clone Wars, less great. And other movies included that week were Mirrors, which I have no memory of and apparently starred Kiefer Sutherland, and Vicky Christina Barcelona, a movie in which Scarlett Johansson is slightly overrated and Rebecca Hall incredibly underrated. Disturbia by Rihanna was days away from taking the top spot from Katy Perry. This week on Mad Men, three Sundays go by as Sterling Cooper prepares for American Airlines. So it was a fairly religious tinted kind of episode. Definitely with 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 Peggy's kind of her 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 titular Sundays. Um, It definitely was. And it was definitely nice to spend some time with Peggy because we didn't get a lot of her last week. So it was it was nice to really kind of dive in um what did we think now that we've seen peggy going to to church again she started going back to the church at her mother's behest i think about two episodes ago so she's still trying to be a dutiful daughter she's uh attending and then gets caught trying to sneak out what did we think about that Hmm. i mean i do wonder about her whole return is it just for her mother is it her trying to set herself right in the world and uh in under god's eyes um do we think like is it like why (laughs) why do we think she's doing this is this a personal thing do we think it's just some attempt to act like things are normal again like before she went off to the big city to be a working gal So, like, technically, we don't know Peggy's level of engagement in the church before she started at Sterling Cooper Mm -hmm. or before the baby was born. So this may have been actually a big part of her life, and we just didn't know it. And, you know, the Catholic thing, she may have quit going um, out of, like, shame and guilt over the baby, and, like, that's why she quit going. And then once she went that one time and didn't catch on fire, she was more comfortable going back more permanently mm-hmm. and then is that why when you had the more kind of fire and brimstone sermon about you know chastity chastity and sins of the flesh and how we must live at all times worthily and you know take up our crosses and bear our crosses and and all of that stuff that then seems to make her uncomfortable and that's when she tries to sneak out so it's definitely she's not finding it or at least my read is that in, in that moment with the sermon which i think informs her um counsel to to father gail to colin hanks later on um the sermon is what kind of pushed her to the narthex to the to the lobby yeah what did we think of colin hanks father gill i didn't realize that hot priest was a recycled <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really think anything about Colin Hanks specifically. I really was only thinking about hot priest jokes. <laughs> <laughs> was it was it because he was wearing his best dress? 
Yeah, and like now I can't see a young man in priest attire without being like, oh, oh. a high priest situation. Even though it's like, and like no offense to Colin Hanks, who is a handsome man who does bear the Hanks resemblance. He doesn't strike me as like fiery sizzle charisma yeah. kind of guy. He doesn't smolder. No. There is very due, little smolder there. With all due respect to He's like Mr. maybe Hanks. a gentle burning ember in the corner of the fireplace at most. But he is very mm-hmm. kind and not judgmental in the way that you would expect like a priest participating in this, you know, specific sermon that we hear little snippets of. Um he's super nice to Peggy's family. He's super kind to her, both about the fact that she was leaving the service and then at the end of the episode when he like lets her know that, you know, he knows about her baby, but he is like real chill about it and like Yeah, not he's judging. not a regular mom. He's a cool mom. He's a cool sweary priest. Yeah. And even, like, in the way he was disciplining the kids uh, at the beginning, when Peggy comes across them, it's just the simple, like, standing at the corner and being in timeout and being like, okay, you served your time, Mm -hmm. don't do it again, go back in. It's very straightforward, nothing weird, nothing, you know, gratuitous about the punishment or penance. It just is what it is. You've done your duty. And like you guys said, he he doesn't know about the past or anything. He doesn't know about Peggy's like past history with the church, much like us. In a lot of ways, it prevents him from being judgy or her projecting any feelings of judginess onto him. Yeah, and and I think too, he seems to be the type of person that like wants to connect and to with with people, and mm-hmm. you know cares about people as as individuals not necessarily you know out of making people at least so far that they're making the projects or you know trying to have ulterior motives for you know getting to getting to know someone or or invest in someone he seems kind of uncomfortable with his own i don't know i'll I'll use your word any that you have it have in the notes but his own kind of like celebrity and how how awkward it must be as he gets invited to all these post post mass lunch invitations and and how to navigate everyone who has demands of his time mm-hmm. he's he's more of a person not only do they have they want to spend time with him but they have expectations of his behavior too (laughs) because they they ask him you know to say grace for their lunch and he gives them just like a normal prayer that's like really nice and personal and they're like oh are you gonna say grace now like um okay like i really just wanted to like be a guy having lunch but it's fine (laughs) what's funny is that i like know several new yorkers who are who would say exactly that kind of thing that was very nice that was beautiful now are you gonna give us what we want (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, are you going to do the thing now? Um, this reminded me so much of in um, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel when her family is, like, trying to get the rabbi there for, like, the specific dinners, mm-hmm. and it's, like, such a huge deal. They even, like, have uh, Father Gil pose with him at the end, like a weird little paparazzi picture. 
Oh my god, yeah, because I want to take a picture with him. I loved that shot because him and the women like congregate right in front of the door frame and just slowly cover up Gil on the couch so you can't see him at all. And then they're like taking a family photo with like their mm-hmm. replacement man of the I house, the priest. It actually kind of reminded me. Well, because like later on, he kind of pops in for another dinner and they're like, you don't want to join us. We have all these other people now and a lot of them. It reminded me of like my uh, my cousin is really, really good old friends with a, a fairly famous celebrity in the Philippines. And literally everyone it's not we're not a small family literally i feel like he's been paraded in front of all of us just like oh you're coming into the country well guess what <laughs> we're gonna arrange a dinner he's gonna be there uh or we're just gonna go to his set where he's shooting something and let me tell you it is super awkward <laughs> and he tries to be polite but that's the kind of vibe that i got him like he's just really an object right now isn't he yeah he really well and that second time he comes he's like oh peggy's not here uh i gotta go yeah yeah and immediately i feel like anita's just turned off by the whole thing i mean she wasn't doing great in the first visit too when her mom was just who who hasn't exactly been the most open about um uh, about peggy's like deviance from the church basically although not as bad as anita and now here she is she's uh just bragging on and on about all the stuff that Peggy's doing. She's in the big city. This is the job she does. It's super important and fancy. And then he's just like, yeah, it's called copywriting. We know it's called copywriting. End of sentence. Yeah, and, and definitely I think the whole Peggy and, and Anita thing, definitely like to pull from a, another um, religious example or parable if you will um the parable of the prodigal son which if you're not familiar with it it is a bible it's 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 a bible story in a bible story it's a story that jesus tells about um a younger son who asks for his inheritance early gets all this money pieces out spends it on wild living ends up being destitute comes back and his father welcomes him with open arms and the older son who stayed there was dutiful did all the right things you know worked didn't ask for his inheritance early and then then peace out um is quite upset at his father for welcoming the little brother back um, yeah he's he's he sees his father like being like we're gonna throw a feast now we're gonna just sacrifice the fattest thing that we have to eat we're gonna celebrate <laughs> Not even just, like, welcoming. She's, like, real excited he's here. Yeah, and, and definitely I think uh, Anita would connect with the uh, dutiful older sibling in, in that analogy, right? I definitely think it's interesting, too, the connection that Gil and, and Peggy seem to make because Peggy doesn't engage in the same sort of, like, hero worship, if you will, that her mother, her sister, or anyone who's coming over for dinner necessarily do with Gil and I think he seems to appreciate and then connect with that right when they're talking in the car and she he's asking for for notes on how to give a good presentation because Peggy's mom is, has mentioned how good Peggy is at it at the job and that was I just I thought a lot of their interactions were were really sweet and kind of genuine and 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 nice which we don't get a lot of night genuine niceness on Mad Men so it was was definitely appreciated to see Totally, totally. And I think that's also hmm. that's something that Peggy is returning, um, connecting with in return. It is just nice. And like you get the idea that he's because he's like a younger guy, too. He's not like older. And I think you mentioned this in the past, 
Matt that this is like right before Vatican II so everything is still very old-fashioned most the 98% of the mass is in Latin which no one really understands Latin I know they teach it in schools even still now they still teach it in some uh, Catholic schools and stuff but it's still a very dead very esoteric kind of thing sorry um, very esoteric kind of thing um, it, it keeps people at a distance and Peggy tells him you know be more simple, you know, talk in a way that people can actually connect with what you're saying because otherwise it's just a total, it's a, it's a total smoke show. Like you don't, there's, there's nothing there. It's not like, it's like, it's not really for the people. And you can imagine that Gil is one of those people that helped push that movement along and help change things within the church. You know, since we're always talking about how this is a time of revolution and change and everything and how we are uh, moving on from old, probably tired traditions. You know who else would give that note? Mm. If someone was... That'd just, like He wouldn't phrase it the exact same way that Peggy did, but that feels like such a Don thing. Be simpler. Oh. Right? Take Take the complex thing and just distill it to this you know, what's 1963 going to be like that? Just, yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt, but like, that's just what came to me as I was thinking about that line is it, it, it felt very much like a dawn lesson. No, you're right. Cause it's all about connection with him. The emotional connection. No, I think that's accurate. Granted too, yeah. it's to sell things, which I mean, that's kind of what the priest is trying to do. So, I mean, what, what, it works. what does he say? He's not lacking in the content department. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, priest humor. And then, but through all that, but then we have, as you said, Anita's not handling how people deal mm. with Peggy well. She, you know, she says she, so she goes to confession, and I don't think she's doing anything malicious. I really genuinely think that this is something that's weighing heavily on her and something that she even probably feels guilty for feeling. But she tells uh, Father Gill about what happened with Peggy and how angry she is and how people are still, like, falling over her and still praising her and this whole time. And, and this is something that I'm sure Betty will, would relate to. You know, she's the one who's still – she's here. She's doing the work. She's doing it on her own. Her husband is now, like, debilitated on the sofa complaining about his back pain. And he, she gets none of the credit. Everything goes to Peggy. Peggy's the hero. Peggy's the one who goes off and comes back and saves the day. Well, yeah. And I, I definitely agree. Because I think that if she had any intention of being malicious in this situation, she would have done more. Um, like, I definitely thought that when, when Father Gill gave her the copy of the sermon to give to Peggy I definitely thought that she was gonna like sabotage that situation and like not mention it and not pass it along mm -hmm. uh you know but she did and then also because we know how deeply she's bought in to um maybe not religion as a whole but like how deeply she's bought in to doing the right thing and doing what she's expected of her and being good you know she says that a lot um in the in the confession scene but she probably believes wholeheartedly that 
he would never take that information out of the confessional. Mm -hmm. Well, like because he's not supposed yeah. to. Yeah, and like we said earlier, she they ha have such a reverence um, for for the priests. Like they're another class, like they're a, a different class of people above them, you know, that they uh -huh. don't necessarily have the same human ways that the rest of us do. She, um, like they're on some kind of pedestal, you know, we see that in the way that they treated him when they were, when he was in their own home. It probably didn't even occur to her. It's just, it just makes me really sad for her too. Cause you know, she probably doesn't have anyone else to talk to and, um, that is one of the, like, on a non-religious, non-spiritual level, a good purpose for confession is just getting things off your chest and addressing the things that are weighing on you. Agreed. But I, I, have, a, I have a Protestant question. Um, okay. I, I know you're, like, not supposed to theoretically know, and during the sacrament, because uh, confession's a sacrament in Catholicism, Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So like part of that is it's like it's it's like the act and it's like confessing to a priest. But like you're not technically supposed to know which priest it is, correct? But like you probably know if you're like active in the parish. Would that be fair to say? I think at the time it was I mean you probably knew and I don't think you didn't No, I don't I don't think it was required for you to not know who they were. Okay. Yeah. Fair. How many priests do these churches have? Because like mm -hmm. my whole town had twelve. Yeah, and I mean you could still see through the Catholic little window. Priest. When I was a kid, I was just yeah. did face to face because the window like freaked me out. But because I because the question sorry because then the question that I had in in trying to kind of understand Anita's motivations a little bit is like, did it just happen to be Father Gill when? Anita went to confession, off, you know, because obviously she goes a couple times a week. It's been like only been like two or three days since her last confession. She's two had. weeks. So like two weeks. I was no, oh, I'll take your word for it. It's been a couple weeks. So like, did she intentionally go when it was Father Gill who is the visiting priest? So so he would know, and like I, I agree that she probably, you know, trust that he wouldn't approach Peggy or or say anything to Peggy. But, like, how active was her choice to share what she shared, not just for her own emotional and spiritual catharsis? That's what I don't have the mm. answer to. And, I mean, maybe we're, like, we won't find out, and I'm quite comfortable with that, because I think the question's more interesting than the answer. But, yeah, that's just something mm. I was noodling right now. Mm -hmm. I don't think we have enough enough in text clues to say whether or not she did or didn't that's might just be something we're putting on her but from i don't think that most places would have like a set i mean maybe they do they do have a set schedule that isn't necessarily broadcast they're, they're probably like you know so and so does a regular schedule but i mean the fact that he's also a visiting priest might throw a wrench in a regular schedule it's true because she dressed up in her Sunday finest with her, like, little prayer veil on her head and everything. And it doesn't look like the kind of thing she normally just wears. So she would have had to have put some thought in her actual timing, I think. Right. 
because I don't know. I mean, I, I, where I grew up, you definitely still had some ladies who would, like young ladies who even, who would still walk around with their prayer veil in their bag and, just to have it ready. It's a very weird town I grew up. You never, you never know. know. I grew up in a weird town. But um, that's... You can't be unprepared for Jesus. <laughs> I don't think it was super common. So while we don't generally don't think that maybe she intended to drive a wedge between uh, Father Gill and Peggy, clearly, I, I, I personally saw that there was one there at the end. Uh, Melissa, it sounds like that you thought he was actually being more kind about it than I think I was. How do you guys feel about that 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 scene at the end with uh, with the egg? I think I'm kind of in the middle. Um, I definitely like feel like the temperature in that interaction was quite distinct from their other ones previous. So I would agree that there is some distance there that wasn't there before. Um, and I do think that Gil is, Father Gil is being very deliberate and intentional in saying, hey, I don't judge you. I'm not, you know, I know, I know, but here you go. I'm going to be as normal as I can. And by like forcing kind of that, this is okay. I don't judge you. It's like, well, no, you are. You're like exercising a lot of energy to tell me that like, you're not judging me, which I then read as like the, there's a part of you that's being really judgmental right now and you don't want me to know. Um, but I do think his intent in counteracting whatever his initial reaction or recoil would be comes from a more genuine place, but I definitely feel like there is if not a wedge that there definitely has been a channel change on whatever rapport they were building. I mean, I definitely think that's true regardless of his intentions. Like I definitely think that's true now that Peggy knows he knows because this isn't something she likes to talk about. It's not something she's open about. So she's definitely, this is going to backfire. I think they, I think that he was using this as an opportunity to be like, look, you can get to know me better because I can find out things about you and I won't start being a dick about it. Um, but she is going to be like, well, now you know, so bye forever. I was going to say, she doesn't even like it when her family mentions it, though, as we've seen in the past, whenever it comes up, it's not been in the nicest or kindest of ways. But, yeah, I he's definitely saying something, but I don't know if... For me, it was him setting the tone of the future. I definitely saw it as like, I acknowledge it. I'm not going to be terrible about it or judge you for it. But at the same time, like the friendliness, the the warmth, the the I don't intimacy is not not the wrong word. Um, yeah, uh, because it's, I don't I just mean like on a kind of spiritual kind of friendly kind of way. Um, yeah. but like that, I feels like he's, he's putting the brakes on cause he's not necessarily judging, but I think he, the optics aren't great. Yeah. I, I, I think he views her as a project now. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, what I mean by like a project is like, I, and this is my own bias from like things I've seen in my lifetime where, where it's like the, Oh, this, this person went through a thing or like hasn't been going to church enough and I care about them. So I'm going to see what's up with them. And, 
you know, all with the aims of not necessarily checking where someone's at, but with the goal of like witnessing to them or like preaching to them or like, you know, getting them to come back to church or like whatever. So like the idea of like people as projects and something that Gil said to Peggy earlier in the car when it's like, oh, we've come together, you know how to pitch things. I'm looking for feedback. God works in mysterious ways. And so now I'm wondering, like, he's being nice to her. He, you know, cares about her on whatever kind of human level, because that's the type of dude he is. Now is it like the, oh, she's going through something and I need to be there for her. And the the, the action that's intent with that, I think, I I'm a little wary of, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. That is a very hot priest thing to do. I'm just here to, I just, I just want to help you. <laughs> it is a little paternalistic, but that is also, he is a father, so it goes hand in hand. So, I mean, either way, I was just kind of frustrated <laughs> by the whole thing. Because she had a friend. He has a flock. I, and I didn't think about it. Uh, watching it the first time but I'm really stuck on the fact that like he should not have told her that he knew about this because he learned about it in confession like that's that's bad that's not good and the time is just so weird too because it was like in front of all these people and it was a friendly context there was like a it's a celebratory day (laughs) And she's just like, oh, kids, am I right? And he's like, hey, I know you have an illegitimate child. Here's a gift for her. Bye. Ooh. Awkward. Yeah. Awkward. Not great. I mean, he did need help connecting with people, so I guess uh, that was it manifesting itself. Well, let's rewind three weeks and go back back once again to the first of the three Sundays and talk about Don, who does not want to go to the barbecue they had planned that day. He does not. Mm. Hmm. Ugh. Starting the size really early <laughs> in the episode today. Always with the size <laughs> for Don. Um, so this day starts out pretty nice betty's getting all the attention Mm -hmm. sexual attention Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and it's going great and yeah he doesn't want to go to this barbecue he wants to like stay in and have a nice sunday with his family and like he gets his way and uh then his little kids walk in ruin everything (laughs) how great was that shot by the way of the two of them in bed just like squished together in the middle not like cuddling but they're yeah they're just asleep just kind of like leaning into the center Uh, together it was a uh, it looked nice out of context without knowing their history it was a beautiful moment uh that looked great every day with don draper starts out fine (laughs) um but so what I really wanted to say about this scene, uh, on top of all that other stuff, is that when they finally get the kids to leave the room, Betty's like, oh, I should have locked the door. And I'm just like, why, though? You never get any. <laughs> like, <laughs> why would you, for one, why would it be your responsibility? And for two, every time you try to get sex, Don says no, so what the fuck do you need the door locked for? Like, you, this is not 
on you. Like, I was just, like, annoyed that that was her response. I did like when she told the kids to have rice and bread for breakfast and take care of themselves. I was amused by that. Okay. Um, rice and bread I... fucking rules, so. Um, so, the drink... so, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to go on. Like, they're just having a great day. Yeah. They're hanging on the living room. Kids are very confused. <laughs> there are not activities for them in the living room except for bartending and DJing. Which uh, Sally seems to handle with a plum. Oh, She's yeah. uh, improved her bartending skills from when Francine and Carlton were over. She's she great. Handle the uh, Bloody Marys or whatever she was making. I mean, when I was her age, I was also bartending, but it was more like just grabbing beers and like popping the tab. You know, I wasn't mixing drinks. We yeah, saved she's that until mixed at least seventh grade. And cocktails, she's getting proportions right. <laughs> and and again, Betty and Don looking picture perfect in their like cute casual wear, just lounging on this immaculately staged living room. They look great. Why are we in here? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's so funny. I was watching them just thinking, did I miss something? Bobby's DJing. He plays what, and he's playing with the hi-fi, even though he's, he knows he shouldn't. It then skips. Betty goes, Bobby, stop it. You shouldn't play with it. And then he lies and says he didn't, even though they just saw it. Sally saw it. And we all saw it. And what I have in had in my notes from the episode was that Bobby lies, and we know he lied about the tracing. He's continuing to lie, and his dad also lies. And yeah. I really wonder how much of that informs Betty's more, there's Betty's response mm-hmm. to Bobby's lying. I mean. <sighs> Little little children just lie. They're sociopaths. Small children. They just are. <laughs> They're testing their limits and have no sense of co- of like morality or a, a conscience. But and we've seen Betty just lose her temper just very quickly and get incredibly cold. But there's always something about it when Bobby does something wrong that really switches it on. So like even when they're they're piled on the bed looking super adorable and having like ha 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 family happy times and bobby starts jumping first of all no one really tells him not to stop jumping that i recall. they're all dicking around and like i am a hundred percent team bobby yeah and like somehow the smallest of them all is the one that breaks the bed and she gets so mad at him so mad everything's so cold and fine i'll make you all dinner because you have to eat before you go to bed she's like you're tonight. going to bed they definitely forgot to feed them because of sally's all like Sally i'm sorry poured, right yeah yeah definitely uh they're just lucky they got home safely sally's it's like insane. i'm absolutely eating before i go to bed i don't know what you thought <laughs> yeah it's like we haven't had dinner woman um she so. looks at Don like <laughs> Betty looks at Don and she's like, "For real? Do we Ugh. forget to feed these children?" <laughs> oh, I guess I'll feed them. At least she's not making a comment on on Sally's weight. Oh, no kidding. God. And then do we go on? Uh, yeah. So uh, things are a little tense at home. 
and work doesn't exactly make it easier because they've got this big pitch presentation they've got to do for American Airlines back at Sterling Cooper. Everyone's super happy. Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like all hands on deck and they've got to go in on the weekend. No, but be- before, but sorry, just to jump in, before we get to the, the second Sunday, there is the, that stuff. It's a, not the same works up in between where we see we see Joan supporting Don working his desk. Mm-hmm. And then we have that that Bobby Barrett stuff we should yeah. probably talk about first. Um, I think my mind was trying to forget the Bobby Barrett stuff. I do not like her. It's, real th- it's, it's really confusing having two Bobbies in this episode. Um, and <laughs> what? Yeah, Joan is an extremely good secretary because she she like doesn't know what the relationship between Don and Bobby is, but she's smart enough and savvy enough to know what the relationship might be. So when she um when she intercoms in, she says, "Bobby Barry is here at my desk." Don't yeah. say anything fucking sketchy. <laughs> She's right here. And he's like, for sure, for sure. Send her in. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. No, Joan is a pro. There's a reason why she's, uh, you know, the head chicken of this chicken mm-hmm. coop. Hen house. Hen house. <laughs> Lord. Yeah. And then we see when the lock on the door clicks to lock. She just, she knows what that means. Okay. Get down to business. So now she's off managing expectations all over the place. Yeah. Right? Uh, she doesn't need to know all the craziness that's happening inside. Bobby blousing in all like, hey, carefree. I'm okay. totally her here because I rules. want to be. She sucks, oh. but her coat rules. Yeah, she looks great. Her voice is amazing. I love the way she talks. But um, yeah, she just kind of rolls on in on her own time and demands what she wants. Tell her how she's to make it happen. Done. I feel like I should like her more than I do, and I need to maybe interrogate why I don't like her, but the fact that her face looks so conspiratory all the time, it just makes me uncomfortable. I feel like she's plotting against me personally. Like she plays a femme fatale in a lot of, like, old school film noir. (laughs) Yeah, but I would like her in that, I think. That would be cool. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like 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 Dawn is in some ways, and I don't. We talked about this a little bit like last week, or touched upon similar things. Where like it kind of feels like Dawn is the Midge, and Bobby is the Dawn. To like kind of mm. look to that that parallel to like mm. season one, right? Because Bobby comes in and she has this great idea that she's all aflame about about this uh, candid camera ripoff show with with Jimmy. And she's doing it back and forth and like brainstorming how to do it, blah, blah, blah. She's all excited about it, working on it with Don. And then before, right before she locks the door and things take a turn, she's like, I thought of a way to not be bored of you or to not get bored of you or something. And like the implication of that for me was it's this, this rapport and like using him as a creative sounding board, which we saw Don do with, um, with Midge last season. So I think that's, interesting in somewhat of a vacuum also do we think the the whole explicit like locking of the lock and how much focus it was on at this episode was in contrast to what melissa was talking about earlier about when 
Betty says that uh, she should have locked the lock when they get interrupted by the kids. Is this supposed to be like a mere reflection or, or, or call back to that where Bobby locks the lock so the children of Sterling Cooper can't interrupt them? Mm-hmm. It probably uh, is. Yeah. I didn't even think about that, but it's a great parallel. Yeah. And then we have Don who doesn't exactly fight back very hard. I'm married. What are you doing here? I don't want to do this. Okay, my pants are off. Oh, how did they get there? At least we didn't have to watch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So we fast forward a couple of days. We are now on the second of the the three Sundays in the episode. And the American Airlines pitch has gotten moved up a couple of days. They have less time. So Don gets called into the office by his best friend, not Doc Phillips. And it's all hands on deck. They're making pancakes and Bobby Draper, not Bobby Barrett, Bobby Draper burns his tongue and Betty has to take him to the emergency room and says, Don, you take Sally to work. Um, But I did think it was interesting that as soon as Betty says that and Don acquiesces, Bobby Draper goes, as he's getting taken to the hospital, I want to go with daddy and is no longer fussy about his burnt tongue. (laughs) Well, because, like, hanging out with Daddy at, at work when you never get to see him when he on a regular day, that's got to be, like, the greatest thing ever. Like, every – the best field trip you've ever been on. All of them come once. And we see how cute Sally is when she realizes she gets to hang out with Dad at the office. She gets free freaking rain. <laughs> she just – she's so excited at the idea of it. And when she's there, she's just like, hi, just going to be a kid. <laughs> She goes in and talks to Kenzie. She gets drunk, I'm pretty sure. She talks mm-hmm. to Joan about her boobs, about her mom's <laughs> boobs, about her own boobs. Uh, she awkwardly asks Kenzie if this black woman is her is his maid. God, I know. Oh. Yeah. But at least when he's like, oh, that's my girlfriend. It's like, oh, do you kiss her? Do you lay on top of her? Do you like, lay on top Sally, of her? what she's are you nice. looking at? What Guys, are you exposed she's, to? She's boozing. Her filter is gone. The laying on top of thing was... Pro- well, she did, you know, when they walked in on her parents earlier, is what I wondered if that's what she was thinking. Oh, but, sure. Yeah. Oh, 100%. K- Kinsey definitely, I think, handled it in a very, very nice way. Where he's like, you know what? Your dad's... Could- gonna get mad at me he's if like, i'm probably, not working yeah, he's like i don't even want to <laughs> enter a conversation basically yeah he's, he's like i don't like, even want to enter a conversation where i say yes house. or no to your question right now so i'm just gonna send you away that's the right thing to do <laughs> all she needed was a cigarette and then she'd be father gill at uh anita's house <laughs> how did we feel about <laughs> don kind of expecting Joan who's who's his admin support right now just kind of parking Sally there and going because I had to bring her you're the babysitter like I don't know I thought it was interesting his mind was literally like girl baby yeah Yeah. it's totally she's gonna be super maternal well I mean and they're just used to them filling all sorts of uh, functions that aren't actually being a secretary. Like managing expectations. Yeah. The look that Joan gives her, though, when she's just like, hello, child. 
I'm going to suspect maybe the maternal instinct has already been used all up on her girls. And none left mm-hmm. for the children. I'm surprised there wasn't one shot of some woman in the office being real attracted to Don Draper holding hands with a baby girl. There weren't individual shots, but there were a lot of women in the background with like the hand being like, ooh, smiling. Being like, oh my God. I did did (laughs) clock that. Who didn't get to line up for the lunch that everyone, that they brought in for the staff on Sunday until all the men and every other like, copywriter non-admin or support staff got to all got to eat first and they had to wait for the okay to eat and peggy seems to be the only woman that got to eat mm-hmm. with the boys which was interesting mm, she's one of the boys so, now other things that kind of clocked from yeah. so then we have all these people working on their pitches <laughs> if everyone trying to figure out what the hell they're gonna do on this presentation and everything seems to be revolving around don and his creative team I personally enjoyed um, Duck looking at, uh, what's his face, Harry, and being like, why are you here? And he's just like, oh, I'm head of the t- TV department. Why are you here? Yeah. Continuity, that's why. He got to be head of the TV department, but that announcement was made to exactly nobody. <laughs> and, it's just, and it's just him, too. Just whatever, guys. Keep on I'm the head of the TV department. I am the TV department. Uh. So Don has his moment. He, uh, what did we think about Don's uh, taking everyone's work and basically crumpling it up and then throwing it away for a new idea? The typical Don. Typical Don. This is why, I mean, I knew you knew he was going to pull some shit like this whenever Duck is like, maybe Don will give us a sneak peek. And he's like, Don's like, I'm not ready. Because Don's shit can only be a Hail Mary. Yeah, and he does it in the supermost extra kind of way where he's just like in the middle of everyone going, hey, brilliance, and go. And everyone's like, we, and we don't know what to do now. I don't remember which junior exec was like, Jesus, Draper, pick a direction. Like, seriously, bro. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we have I've, nothing to work off of. <clears throat> I have worked on projects like this and like, you know, you hate to see it. Mm-hmm. Because they had been doing so much work already up until this point, and he's... And Pete just immediately, like, how this is going to affect me and how I present. Yeah, Kinsey wrote a menu in French. Yeah. I did enjoy that. It's like, how do I know it's right? It's in French. She's like, it's right. How dare... I'm a writer. <laughs> how dare you question me? Uh, I know Look French. at my beard. <laughs> Have we seen his pipe lately? <laughs> I missed the pipe. Surprised we didn't get a shot of Sally smoking a pipe. After hanging out with yeah. Kinsey. What do we think of... So what do we think of the actual idea, though? The, the There's no such thing as American history, only frontier. Let's pretend we know what 1963 looks like. I thought of a bunch Let's of, like, skipping a year in the show jokes when I heard that line. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. It is kind of... I mean, it is such a dawn thing to, like, look ahead... Like, not look at the past. Let's ignore yeah. it. Until it goes away and will just distract you with other stuff. I mean, stuff. to be all the way fair, he was on the right track because American went so far into that mentality that they fired their motherfucking ad dude. Oh, wow. Yeah. They were like, you were here when this problem happened, and so therefore, goodbye. We're starting. He didn't crash the plane. Someone else's plane. I know, but they're starting over. 
the past mm-hmm. does not exist. When they were like, Shell Keneally got fired, dude, they, mu- they might as well have said that all their moms died, how shocked I felt. <laughs> their faces, just I, a lot of them being like, well, we're fucked. I guess. <laughs> Let's pretend we're not fucked, but we're fucked. People say this show doesn't have twists. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy the, 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 the framing, too, of all of them on the one side. Oh, my God. It was so awkward, yeah. and it looked like it looked like The Last Supper. Cooper in the middle. Yeah. Very, the, the use of Tableau on the show is mm-hmm. With the women uh, bookending um, them, of course, because Joan is just there for some reason. Boobs. Boobs. True. She's got big <laughs> ones. I do think that, that, that Don's Hail Mary definitely taps into something that isn't just specific to like the American psyche, but I think it's a good example of this idea of manifest destiny and, and the frontier and, and how it, how it shapes us. But then that's the romantic notion of it. But when in reality it's expressions of imperialism and, and colonialism and, and kind of the, still like the destruction in its wake. So it was, yeah, I, I was I was surprised and not surprised that like American didn't go with the pitch again when we knew Shell got fired that was their in he was the whole reason that they got rid of their other airline and you know brought it like that but you know you know the pitch wasn't gonna go good when the show didn't even show mm. us the pitch or that it didn't matter that the pitch didn't matter yeah might have been a good pitch but it didn't matter nope did not matter. I get what you're going for, but I do not love. Yeah, that was gross. The stillborn baby comparison. Could do without it. It's not. Mm. You're getting paid for this, okay? Like, and whatever. No one's happy at it's the It's not important. I just didn't like it. Day. <laughs> no, everybody's. And Don seems. Fairly <sighs> resentful yeah. of, so, of Roger, too. Fuck yeah, because he had to go against his principles. He had to come in on a Saturday. He had to hang out with his child. Don hasn't doesn't have a lot of principles, but the ones that he does stick to, he tries to just stick to real hard. I mean, he tries to do a good thing one time, and it doesn't even it's not even worth it. Yeah, and, and they're they're even further behind than they were when this all started, right? Because like he had done as Roger after Duck leaves, we hired him to bring in business, not lose it. They don't have American. They've fired their other airline. Like they're they're further behind than they were three episodes ago. Like as no, a company, right? Nothing. So turned out mm-hmm. it was not Good Friday after all. It was Bad Friday. Um, it was a Sunday, bloody Sunday. Yeah. So Don. So Don tells Roger that they brought in, they brought in Duck for new business, not to lose old business. And then Roger says, don't you, or asks, excuse me, don't you love the chase? Old business Mm -hmm. is just old business. And the whole time, I mean, throughout, we see little bits of him throughout. We see him having dinner with his family and... Um, you know, trying to be like the dad being like, your mom wants you to have a wedding, have a wedding. Uh, but then we see him, you know, with a lady of the night, a very classy lady of the night. That was a very nice dress she was wearing. Uh, and even though he's paying for it, he still kind of wants to flirt with her and try to get her to stay a bit longer and have some champagne. And why didn't you go out to dinner with me? And 
Like, he wants her to enjoy herself. No, he doesn't. No. He wants her to do what he wants to do. He doesn't give a fuck about her. If he cared about her, he would do what the menu said, give her his money, and get the fuck out. I mean, not like he wants her to, like, be happy. I mean, he wants her to want what he wants. He wants the appearance of what, yeah. No. Yeah, no, he no. wants her to want what he wants. Yeah. What he wants. And he wants her yeah. to want what he wants. He wants his will. He wants to try to bend this very, this woman who's got this very like business-like approach to her job. She's like, cool, hey, nice. All right, this is what we're doing. This is what you're going to pay. Let's do it. Lights off. Um, But then he, when he talks to Don later, it's all very like, you know, like you said, don't you love the chase? And he's talking about... um the risks and the gamble that you make when you go after a new client and sometimes you got to lose an old client to do it. And when it does work out, it's like having that first cigarette, you know, heart racing and, and, you know, head spinning, all that kind of stuff. And it just seems like that's how he's living his whole entire life with all these women. Okay. But cigarettes will kill you. And so will running a business this way. Mm hmm. Well, we've seen him in the past, too, whenever Joan is just very like, ugh, you're, like, a little too into me. And that's when he's just like, I will leave my wife. Let's go to Bruh, Paris. You're not listening. He, he needs a new song. Yeah, I, uh, I thought a lot about the way that he was with Joan when we saw him, um, you know, with the girl in the hotel. Like, this is Roger's thing, is, like, taking someone who really has boundaries and really forcing them to be in a very serious relationship with him that they did not want. And then being like, mm-hmm. isn't our relationship great? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> yeah. Roger has a bad habit with women. It seems not unlike Don. How did he become partner, by what? the way? Is it just because he happened to have taken so many risks that worked out in the end? Mm-hmm. Roger? His dad started the company with Bert. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so no. He just so will never learn his lesson. Yeah. So it's like, so he hasn't like, he hasn't earned it in the same way that probably, I mean, his his dad and Bert did by standing on, you know, some probably questionable mm. capitalist principles because of the system. Mm-hmm. But I'll stop my rant there before it starts. So I mean, like Roger was, <laughs> almo- Roger almost died. No one dies doing this, and wife. he's like. He's never going to learn his lesson. What she brings up, what she brings up with Vicky. <laughs> but did you I mean, die? Fact, she's, finished. she's right. He didn't die. But. <laughs> but did you die? Uh, have, have taken care of people who have very almost nearly died. And one or two that has. Uh, it's uh, a thing. Related to a uh, sexual act. So uh, she may want to check her research on that. God. Wouldn't it be a freaking plot twist if he died and she was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I would, the pamphlet did not tell me this was possible. If it weren't, if it weren't for the fact that like joking about death, not my thing, but like if she died <laughs> and he'd be like, oh, what the fuck? I'm sorry. That's not funny. I just really like irony guys. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, and, and so Don, not a huge fan of how Roger handles things, and that, along with losing the account and losing the previous account, puts him in the most horrible mood when he gets home for dinner with his family. 
And it is a noisy dinner because Bobby and that damn robot and Betty yelling at him to put that damn robot away. And Betty yelling, Don, do something. Like, okay, man, you're not going to like what he did, which was throw that robot against the wall. Mm -hmm. And that had 100% more to do with with Betty than with Bobby. Yeah. Let me just tell you guys a quick story about one time on New Year's Eve when my Furby <laughs> wanted to shut up and my dad backhanded it off the table and it bounced oh. off the wall and then it laid on the floor and made like crazy broken Furby noises for like three hours and I was oh, no. legitimately traumatized. That sounds horrifying. Claw, we know Coco. Claw, we know Coco. Claw, we know Coco. It was so bad. I don't even think that this, I mean, it was so bad. And I do not think that this is something we laugh about in full company of the family yet. No. Like, it was, it was was very bad. (laughs) Too traumatizing. When I saw that robot hit the wall, I was like, oh no. Flashback. Kid does not forget. Kid does not forget. I do, I do want, yeah, I feel like probably most people have a moment where, like, regardless of what kind of uh, upbringing they had, there's probably a moment that they remember where their parents just, like, were completely human and just lost their temper and did something, like, completely bad shit that didn't necessarily (laughs) hurt other people, but you're just like, oh, shit. And you could see everyone is freaked out. Oh, God. And especially because, like, I mean, I, I, I don't have children. I'm not raising children, but they're, you know every once in a while you lose your shit and like right in the middle of it you're like i have regrets (laughs) (laughs) immediate regrets um and i mean like i i super sympathize for betty she is the one who's there she's not necessarily always the most like emotionally equipped person to be taken care of to very energetic to very uh well i don't want to call them smart because sometimes i have questions but you know, these kids who are super curious and just, they're kids. And her, clearly mm-hmm. her upbringing, um, there was a lot of corporeal punishment. There's probably some spanking or at least definitely a lot of yelling. We've gotten mm-hmm. hints of her, how her parents raised her, you know, in the way she raises her kids and how overwhelmed she is by, like, life in general. And... Don really is just a hero. They're so happy when they get to see him when he comes home. They're th- jumping in his arms. So, like, of course, when Betty has to be the main disciplinarian, of course she feels frustrated when he's just like, hey, mom said this. I believe her. Don't do it again. And that's it. And I, th- I think, like, so many things that come... This is another example of the lack of communication about pretty much anything (laughs) between Don and Betty. Mm -hmm. And like, it's like, and it goes like, I think, and like, like to a certain, how do I, it's like the lack of communication between both of them. Right. Because like Betty has expectations of how to child rear informed by, from her own, upbringing and her own experiences and what she feels is an appropriate response to whatever behavior and Dawn's parenting style and here I am again talking as another childless person on this podcast um is also reactionary and informed by what he experienced growing up 
But for the majority of, I don't know, how long have they been married at this point? Mm-hmm. Like seven or eight years? Almost ten years? Just under ten years? Something like that? Um, and I don't think Don should necessarily be like, obligated to say hey betty my dad beat the crap out of me so that's why i don't want to do that with with our kids like i don't but like i do think it's very telling that when they have that conversation that you know don was hit and he didn't like his dad because of it um she's like oh i didn't know that and then it's like there's kind of this flash of understanding as to why he was not you know just wanted to have a different kind of child ring and like parenting style than she did when it came to discipline i mean i think it is absolutely required for don to have a conversation about how they're raising their children with the mother of that child especially when he's putting raising their children mm-hmm. completely on and- her like i and i totally get what i totally get what you're saying i just want to like oh, i totally agree yeah no thank thank you that totally totally agree i just i guess was trying to be aware and careful i don't think anyone should be obligated to necessarily like disclose their trauma necessarily but that yeah that yes that conversation can be completely separate from disclosing trauma yeah no that's like that's because i mean like a lot of it is it seemed like betty and it sounds like the end place to blame on betty but i'm not um, it does sound like Betty, like, has certain expectations of how Don should be punishing the kids. But he doesn't respond in a way that asks her what she is expecting. And so there's a lot of, of mix yeah. up there. And his Don's reaction is to just, like, I'm going to kind of ignore it. And it's not until he's just so tired and broken down almost and looking super like the saddest little baby boy ever in bed. And her finally going, just say something, say anything, like, let me in, let me know what's going on with you instead of just shutting me out before it actually comes out. And the second it does, you know, there's there's this kindness between them that you don't get to see very often and that they both probably really need from each other. Right. But here's here's my kind of going down another another layer that like makes me not uncomfortable but i think it's worth reflection where like definitely i agree they need to have a, they should have already had several conversations about child rearing but and like i think that that's that's there's that flash of kind of understanding when when don shares but like is it him just being being broken down and being tired and having the bad day and like feeling human and like willing to like take off those layers probably but then I just, I'm just very, and maybe it's not to go too much on a tangent. I can feel it starting. And maybe just because I've been watching Lost for the first time, which is a show from a similar time period as, as Mad Men, and they're totally like different genres and, and doing different things and a different tones and different temperatures. But like the way, some of the ways that that show doesn't hold up to a modern lens in similar ways to Mad Men, but even at the time where, like, the show, and I think Mad Men is guilty of this too, where it's, it's like, expecting your sympathy or expecting a certain kind of reaction when you have male characters who are, as, you know, have traumas in, in their past. And, like, I don't... 
I don't know if they're necessary. I think sometimes in literature, media, whatever, they can be used as excuses for character motivation. Mm-hmm. And I, I prefer I prefer mm-hmm. to look at them back more as kind of reasons for, which doesn't necessarily remove any kind of or as much um, agency and like culpability of like the perpetrator in the, in those situations. So it's like. Betty does then feel bad and like you know is is comforting Don in, in sharing that, but like what is what is pro, how much of that reaction is then programmed in and we we've talked before about how men specifically can weaponize their their emotions and expect the empathy of others, both I think on mm-hmm. that is what I feel like yeah. Don is doing is he withholds this inform he withholds this information for us the whole episode but like in world he withholds this information when it's pressing and relevant Mm -hmm. for at least three weeks and then when he finally loses his shit so that he doesn't have to apologize for losing his shit he finally discloses this trauma in a way that feels like he's weaponizing it against Mm -hmm. betty so that she now feels bad and says oh i'm sorry i didn't know what the fuck are you feeling bad for? How would yeah. you have known? He refuses so something to something I actually to wanted to talk about with you guys because it, it, it is definitely, I think, uh, I think we've all agreed on this before. That is something Don does fairly habitually. It is what how he probably landed Midge. It worked on Rachel. It works continuously over and over again with Betty. But there is this whole thing with like you know the anti-hero and humanizing this complicated sort of problematic kind of character and often it is a white male character and you know there's something to like doing it with a character you know doing it of a character doing it and it can be very interesting but why does it always have to be this guy who has to be interesting like Mm -hmm. it feels like one, it's a privilege that it tends to belong to a certain type of demographic of character, but is it something that the show is doing to us? Is it doing it repeatedly? Is it, like, breaking something in us repeatedly? Um, I even, uh, there was a quote that I remembered from Alan Bennett's History Boys when they're trying to, you know, write these, like, cool, edgy sort of essays to get into into Oxford and Cambridge and um, they're talking about, you know, kind of ex- not sort of they're saying like putting like into context, like the actions of the Nazis. And one of the characters is Jewish and he completely rails against it. He says, but to put something in context is a step towards saying that it can be understood and that it can be an exp- it can be explained. And if it can be explained, then it can be explained away. Mm-hmm. Is this something that the show is doing? Is it something that's doing to us? Is it like, is it messing with us? Because, I mean, now we have, like, like movies like The Joker, where, like, oh, he's actually, I totally understand this guy. I relate to this character. And you're like, maybe you sh- shouldn't relate to this character. But we're kind of idolizing him. Like, do are we deifying a terrible person? <laughs> and should we be doing this? Should we continue doing this? Um, yeah. Yeah. Just, just, I just generally want to know how you guys feel about that. I feel like it's not going to be fun to watch Mad Men if we decide that Don Draper is irredeemable. (laughs) But I also get what you're saying, that, like, the show is having him do all this stuff that 
hurts my feelings and makes me <laughs> mad and then peels back layers to his character where you're like, oh, this is why he behaves that way. And yeah, I mean, I'm just repeating what you're saying, like, because I still don't have the answer. The, even the more I talk about it, like, is the fact that this is the only character that, like, we're getting context of. It's not like we're spending a bunch of time internally with Peggy figuring out why she gave up her baby when that's something that we could have our feelings hurt by and be offended by or not like her character because she made that choice and then find out later why she did it and feel real empathy towards that and say, oh, well, this is why. Like, that decision is can be explained away by all of these internal thoughts and feelings, but we're not getting that on her side. At least not yet. Uh, okay. We're still a couple episodes ago, right? Not to like, right? But I, I your point taken, and it's it's a salient mm-hmm. one. Like I know Don is ostensibly like the hero, but we we are constantly having, um, you know, this comparison drawn for us between Peggy and Don, and how Peggy's like, you know, following in his footsteps in a lot of ways, and how they're so similar, but a lot of what we learn from her tends to be more context. Like you guys said earlier, you know, we haven't gotten to spend a lot of time with Peggy after having the baby. A lot, a lot of it has been us, you know, grabbing what we can in context clues and in small interactions and everything. And all the, all the female characters kind of uh, suffer from this kind of fate. A lot of what we get from Betty tends to be, you know, we talk about, you know, this amazing subtle performance from January Jones, or, you know, we we generally aren't super positive on Joan and, you know, being a, a woman in her position in the 60s in this kind of environment, probably not very straightforward either. But no one else gets the same treatment that Don. Pete. Pete occasionally gets the same treatment as Don. <laughs> Why does Pete get that? I don't know. It just, I guess I just want to bring it up because I do feel like it is something that's been a pattern in pop culture and literature mm-hmm. and seems to I don't know if it's it just uh, it, if it just seems like it's getting to be a stronger or more prevalent trend for you know having the anti-hero the problematic men etc cetera, etc cetera. or if it's just something that's continuing. I don't know. Either way, it just, it seems to be something we kind of dance around and I don't want to not address it. Yeah, for sure. I still, I just kind of don't want to like Dawn as much as I did before. No, but I do think that's like why we're doing this podcast. To like talk about mm-hmm. the writing and the acting, but also to investigate what made the show so successful and what makes it everlasting and what has changed since this show and sometimes unfortunately what hasn't but like mm-hmm. uh matt you mentioned last earlier which i'm also watching um mad men's doing that thing better than lost was <laughs> yeah i think it's i mean i i agree on one level but like what something that i've been trying to clock and be more aware of as as we kind of like rewatch it is the ways that like it mad men it and my it i mean mad men perpetuates those same things that it's seemingly commenting on or or pointing Mm -hmm. out um because like when i was watching mad men kind of as it aired 
I understood it to be a show that was actually about the damage that common conception stereotypical, basically the damage that masculinity has on society and primarily like women, Mm -hmm. right? And especially that, that, that brand of kind of post-war trumpetism, like the, the, of masculinity that we're, we're, we're kind of talking about, right? I definitely think on the, the, the surface, Mad Men seems a little bit more aware of some of the kind of structural inequalities that exist in, say, the two and a bit seasons of Lost that I've watched. But I also think maybe Mad Men's trying to have its yep. cake and eat it, mm-hmm. too. Um, and, I, and I think that's what maybe I have have less time for now. Um I I I haven't read that book, Annie, that, that, that you mentioned, and I haven't seen Joker somewhat intentionally, so I can't comment on some kind of like an, an overarching kind of like master thesis and trend. I do know that Don Draper and Madman are kind of in that that middle period of the exploration of the white male angry anti-hero that like you know includes like tony soprano includes um what's his nuts from from breaking bad and we can't look at these things in a vacuum because that's wrong and and, and problematic in its own right but i think in an exploration of some of these things and that these type of characters isn't necessarily inherently bad um but i don't I don't think it's wrong or bad to not necessarily have time for it or or not want to engage in that type of storytelling. And I and I think to maybe feel, maybe feel is a, a better, more mm. more accurate word. Um that it it's the the plethora of types of characters and what what's what type of stories do we not we as a podcast, but like we as a, a society or an awards body or whatever. What do we deem as important, and like which characters are are able to be complicated, and we're willing to engage in that that compli- the complexity, and mm. who we're not right, and like yeah, and that's that's where I'll I'll stop for now. Yeah. It's something I think I just want to pay attention to as we go on. Because, again, it's not to detract from the quality of the show. Still a great show. Still incredibly engaging. Love the characters. Love the writing. Just something I'm trying to be aware of. This conversation, (laughs) I think, fits the tone that I was feeling from this episode. So (laughs) I like it. (laughs) <laughs> All the Catholicism just always demands a sort of uh, somber note. <laughs> All right. So what's left? Well, y'all can find me on Twitter at Mellow Yellow, which is M-E-L-L-O-O-Yellow. And you can find me as the co-host of the Wild Pretty Things podcast. Our next episode will be a review of The Invisible Man coming soon. Ooh. Starring, Starring Elizabeth Moss. Moss. Uh, Matt, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Mattyhugh, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. And Annie, where can we find more of you and your, your voice? 
Oh, well, if you insist. Um, I can be, you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Pop Artery, P-O-P-A-R-T-E-R-Y. Or you can f- listen to me talk even more uh, about Jane Austen and many related things on the Daily Nightly. You can also find, you can also reach out to us uh, at Still Great Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Please, please, please rate and review us on the podcasting system of your choice. We appreciate it. Yep. Catch us next week. Till next time, guys. All right. Bye. I almost just made the worst daddy joke in the history of this podcast.